we have a one-off series where Andrew this morning, just like today, and it's finishing tonight, <laughs> where Andrew shared this morning on the mystery of God, and he finished on a scripture that I'm starting with tonight as a reference. Uh, but the mystery of God really points to the glory of God, which is the presence of God. Uh, the mystery of God is something that we can spend a lot of time on. And so really we can, we can be preaching about mystery and glory and presence for months on end. But tonight we just want to stop a little bit and ask the question, uh, where does God's glory sit? The mystery alludes to this idea that we never really understood who God was. And you can read that in Scripture. Really, the most of the Old Testament were attempts of humanity in clarifying and, and specifically pointing to who God was. It was very difficult for them. They didn't have satellite television or WhatsApp. So the message took a little bit longer. It was on foot or on a horse or whatever you could find to ride on. But it was difficult. It was a different world that they engaged in. And often it was very closely connected to nature, right? So we would sort of try and hear from God, but not always in close proximity to other humans. In fact, we, didn't, we sort of disregarded them overall. And we just said that some of God's primary expression would be in weather and would be in, in, in how the earth is responding. So a lot of the language you read in the Old Testament is very primitive. But then we, we do see these moments where through the, through the law and then through the prophets, through Moses and Elijah, God does reveal things about himself very clearly to them, but still it's not a complete message and picture of who God is. And so tonight we will talk a little bit about that um, as we continue. One of my favorite authors is Robert Farrah Capon, and he wrote a book um, that is a cookbook that points to God. And just that makes me excited about this guy because I'm like, yes and amen to that idea. Um, because there's something about taste, there's something about our senses that we just love. We love engaging our senses. And, and I don't think that's just evil. I think God has given us this ability to sense things in this world, um, isn't it? So when you have a great meal, there's something of God that sits in that. When you have a great coffee, and he just, he rewrote this portion of scripture in like a food language. And I just want to read it tonight. Is that, I think I've done it before, but it's a year ago, you won't remember. So we'll just go again. It, it just says, oh Lord, refresh our sensibilities. Give us this day our daily taste. Restore to us soups that spoons will not sink in. Can I have a witness? And sauces which are never the same twice. Like even the next bite. Raise up amongst us stews with more gravy than we have bread to blot it with. And casseroles that put starch and substance in our limp modernity. Take away our fear of fat. <laughs> That's a holy, like just that little bit there. And make us glad of the oil that ran upon Aaron's head, Aaron. Give us pasta with a hundred fillings, come on, and rice in a thousand variations. Above all, give us grace to live as true people. To fast till we come to a refreshed sense of what we have and then dine gratefully on all that comes to hand. Drive from us, O most bountiful, all creatures of air and darkness. Cast out the demons that possess us. Deliver us from the fear of calories. There's another one. Come on. And the bondage of nutrition. And set us free once more of our own land, where we shall serve thee as thou hast blessed us with the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Amen. I love that. It's so good. 
Because you can almost taste it, really. The gospel, I don't think, is something that we just engage with in a sterile setting. There's something of taking it in hand and putting it in your mouth. There's a taste and a feeling, and it has an effect on your body. It's like, have you ever played with Play-Doh? You have to touch it. It invites you to touch it, doesn't it? It's, it's there. It's, you can't leave it. It's like a magnetic field that just says, touch me, play with me, squish me, <laughs> for me, make something with me. It's just inviting you. And I think the gospel in a lot of ways, just like the aroma of coffee says, come here. <laughs> I invite you into my presence. I think there's something of God's presence that's so attractive, not just to the spirit, but to the flesh. I think God lures us in with the beautiful language of food and the things that surround that. Really, he lures us in with his glory. And we see in Exodus, as uh, Andrew spoke this morning, that Moses had an experience with the glory of God. And, And this is just how it went. Go and read it in context. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do to the very thing you ask because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And Moses went up the mountain. He came down. His face shone. He hid it. The glory of God is something that could at times put you to death. There's a tremendous nature to the glory of God, especially in this picture. But it is because of this tremendous nature that there's something so divine to it. Um, but I love just before this, uh, then Moses said, now show me your glory. It says, I will do to the very thing you ask because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. There are two other times specifically that we hear similar language. This is my beloved son, that's his name, in whom I'm well pleased. I find it interesting that this is also in Exodus. And I only really read it this morning. Our core text for tonight is Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3. And I read it this week out of the Passion Translation. And we will have this text twice tonight. And at the end, we're going to specifically focus on a different version. But let's read through it together. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by His prophets and in many, many different ways. The revelation He gave them was only a fragment at a time building one truth upon another. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly, come on, in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything, for through him God created the panorama of all things and all time. The son is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image he holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word he accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then took the seat on the highest place on the right hand of god next to the majestic one i love the language in this text and the passion translation because it's so vivid it speaks of something that i'm about to experience with my own eyes the dazzling radiance of god's splendor the exact expression when what hebrews is doing here is it's showing us that 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 um god is like jesus and jesus is like god you see we are comfortable with a jesus is like god statement because that you know experience expresses a little bit of who god is into the bigger picture but what we need to see in christ is that jesus is the spoken word of god that creates ahead of itself 
and that Jesus is not some representation, a part of the representation, but he's the full representation of what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And that's what we do at, when we come together as a body, as the church, is we, we go on a journey of trying to remember what God has always been like revealed in Christ. So nothing that if it looks different than Jesus, it's not God. If it looks different than Jesus, it's not God. Jesus is our lens through which we know God, through which we experience Him. And this scripture confirms all of that. But Jesus is not just um, a man that came to earth, and that's a big deal, uh, because He became flesh, meaning God has absolutely entered every, every area of our carnal nature. But Jesus is also the very opinion of God, the Logos in John 1 it says. If you want to know what God thinks of you, Jesus is the opinion of God. And that has way more ramifications than just the life, death, and resurrection of a man. It's actually the, the character of God on display. And as Andrew shared this morning that so beautifully, that the glory of God really is the revelation of the character, the very nature of who God is. And God shows us His glory through His Son, Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to focus on four, four areas where the glory sits. Uh, most, most of my past experience have been in Pentecostal churches, although there's a little bit of variety. And the most Pentecostal church's primary passion is the presence of God. It's the experience of the presence of God. And every denomination has a gift in which it expresses something special. And it's beautiful how all these things, later on when you mature, you notice that actually though the other denomination you were in that you hated so much, there was actually something beautiful that happened in that also. You can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's something life-giving in every group where people gather for the glory of God. There's something of a gift. Um, but we have to understand that the glory does not come and go when we experience it. We experience it when we're aware of it. The glory of God primarily sits in Christ. It is the start point of our experience. And we see this in the Mount of Transfiguration. Just as we did Moses, we saw also with the baptism of Jesus, we're going to read something beautiful in here. The Mount of Transfiguration really is this middle point where God reveals Himself in fullness. After six days, Jesus, Jesus took with Him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. A lot of mountains in Scripture. There He was transfigured before them. His face shone just like Moses, remember when we read, shone like the sun, and His clothes became as white as the light. Just think of this. You're walking with Jesus. You had your doubts. And in this moment, you're walking up this mountain. Maybe you think you're dehydrated, so you're hallucinating, but you're not. Jesus' clothes are shining. His face is illuminated. He transfigures right before them. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, for them, Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. This is the history of the Old Testament. These are the, the people that they followed, that they studied, that they knew so much about. 
in their upbringing, um, and even the Pharisees were glued to because Moses represented really the boundaries and guidelines for living, whereas Elijah represented these moments where God spoke prophetically to his people. All basically a glimpse of who God is, not in the context of his light. Peter said to Jesus in this moment, I can just imagine, he said, Lord, is it good for us to be here? <laughs> Almost like he's feeling out of place. Like, I don't know if we should be in this meeting. Like, it's a bit high level, right? You're going into a management room, and you're like, oh, sorry, boys, sorry. I'm like, and so you exit, and Jesus says, no, no. Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, says Peter. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Not listen to them. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, as we all would, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, because he always does this. He's not here to scare us. He touched them. He said, get up. He said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. When I reflect on this portion of Scripture, I'm so confused that after D Jesus was about to be killed, they still had their doubts. And even when He was resurrected, they didn't see Him while walking to, with Him to the road to Emmaus, yet they experienced this whole Mount of Transfiguration moment <laughs> where Jesus was illuminated. It's almost like they might have just said, oh, that was just an experience. That was just a moment. That was just a glimpse of God's glory. But actually, God's glory was fully revealed to them. And in the light of Christ, I have a friend, and I shared this last year. It's almost like this. You're walking at night, and you don't know where to go. So there's a star, and, and, and there's a moon. And the moon represents the law. It, it gives us a clear view. And the stars give us direction on where to go. It represents the prophets, Moses and Elijah, the moon and the stars. But it's still dark. It's still night. We don't really know where to go. And so we stumble and we bump our toe and we trip over a branch and a snake bites us on our ankle. And I don't know what can happen to you. There's so many things, but we navigate this path. But it isn't until the sun rises that the true God is revealed. And when the sun's shining, Sure, from time to time you can see the moon a little bit. But the moon and the stars aren't our point of reference anymore. The sun is. The sun is. So while the sun is shining, come on, <laughs> while the sun is shining, don't try and look for directions in the stars and the moon. The sun's shining. <laughs> There's clarity. I think sometimes we're like, okay, sun, I'm just going to try and where's that, where's that star <laughs> I saw a long time ago? Or where's the moon? But the sun has given us context to who God really is. The glory of God sits in Christ. But I also think the glory of God sits in the ordinary. I took this photo, a couple of photos you'll see on the screen of Alpha. Alpha's my little boy. And um, I never thought I'd be a good boy dad. I had two girls. I was happy with that. They softened me out. I became really like sensitive and arty and collected stuff and uh, stuff. And, and so it changed me completely. And then I had a boy and I was so worried. How am I going to deal with this guy? Like he's different, right? 
He's physically different. <laughs> He's emotionally different. He's just so different. And he is, but I so enjoy him at this season of life where where I see this little guy, and he's almost my sage in a way, where God speaks to him sometimes, speaks through this little boy to me in ways that no one else could. I mean, God corrects me, he sorts me out, he points to places of pain in my life through this little man. And Alpha does have moments where he's incredibly serious, and he looks right through me, but sometimes when I get busy, I don't look at Alpha. I miss God often in the ordinary. When our lives become crazy and busy and, and when we are so chasing for the spectacular, we miss God in the ordinary. I saw a study the other day of couples who get married and um, who stay married for a long time and then they ask them, what was the thing that got you through? You know, what did you do? Was it the cruise holidays you took? Was it, did you hold hands every day? Did you rub each other's feet? Did you, what did you do? <laughs> what did you do to keep it exciting? Did you take her for dinner or bless her? And they said, no, it was actually what they did when they were bored that brought them through. It was the moments of ordinary where we had a quick microwave meal because we were too tired to make one. <laughs> and we sat on our lounge chair and nearly passed out and winked at each other. Because you see, your life contains way more ordinary than it does spectacular. And if you can't see God in the ordinary, you're going to miss Him when the spectacular comes. And if you chase the spectacular, the ordinary for you is not going to be exciting. But I think that God hides in these ordinary places in beautiful ways. And he actually hides in ordinary people as well. Now, I don't think anyone's ordinary. I think everyone's spectacular and different and weird. And, and I think we try to be normal. But God is in every ordinary thing. Another friend that I listened to the other day spoke on his podcast how he, he's been in his house for 40 plus years. And, and, um, and he always goes to the garden. He does a bit of gardening and then he goes out. But since then he's retired and now he has a little dog and what he does with his dog is his dog has to poo and so he takes his dog out to the garden for a poo three or four times a day. That sounds like torture to me because um, you have to pick it up. Anyway, so you just, he, he and what he's noticed is there's these three trees in his garden that he's never seen. And the other day he was taking his dog and it was like these three pillars, these three trees jumped out of him and gave reference to the glory of God, the spectacular nature of God. It's just these three trees that have been there for 40 years that he's never seen. I think when we chase the spectacular, we miss God in the ordinary and then we realize that actually it's incredibly powerful how God is in all living things around us all the time. If we could only just stop and watch. The glory of God does not just sit in the big things, sits in the small things. He does not just sit in the loud things, he sits in the still things. Robert Farah Capon says, only miracle is plain. It is in the ordinary that groans with the weight of glory. It's not just that God is in the ordinary things. I think sometimes He works supernaturally through ordinary people. In Acts 4 verse 13, the kicks, church kicks off and starts. And, and then this is written. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, two of these generals of the church, and realized that they were what? Unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been 
with Jesus. There's something in the disciples and the people that Jesus picked that was so ordinary that it blows you away. Now, God does extraordinary things often through ordinary vessels. This photo was the first night that I ever in my life facilitated a spiritual experience. I played rugby union for, tried to do it for a living, and me and Corinda got married and then moved to New Zealand. This is in one of the parks there. And uh, had a few injuries. We had children. We started our life together, which means we had responsibilities. <laughs> and my rugby career suddenly ended. And what I experienced my whole life was this charge and this chase for autographs and signatures and, 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 and money and gear. Isn't it good to receive sports gear for the sporties here? Like just getting gear with your name on and your number and it fits. And, 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 and I realized that I was chasing sport and chasing that stuff for the wrong reasons. This night we, we brought together a couple of young adults in the park and I didn't really know what to do. My father-in-law threw me in the deep end. He said, no, no, start a young adult group, start something for God. And so I did. I wrote out a little plan I found it the other night with bullet points of what we're going to do. I think Arinda wrote it out for me. She just, you know, she helped me a lot. She still does. And so we gather these people and, and I can do the barbecue. And so we put meat on the barbecue and we, we bring people together. We've got a game. We had this, this get to meet a friend for two minute game where everyone had to do it. It was agonizing for introverts, and, 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 and we, we spent this night together. And, but then there was a time where they just went and sat on the grass and looked at me, expecting something. And I remember looking around and thinking, dear Lord, what is happening now? I thought we're doing well. <laughs> they wanted a word. So I took out a Bible, and it opened in Luke 15, and I read it, I think for the second time in my life. And then I told a story about how somehow I missed my father and related. And when I looked up suddenly, some of them were crying. And I thought, this is a miracle. <laughs> because I'm so ordinary. Because there's nothing that sets me aside. There's nothing that makes me great. But, and I always thought that I was going to be in a different era. I remember driving home that night and starting to cry in the car. And I couldn't believe how it felt to touch lives. And to see them respond to God's news and something greater than myself. God works through the ordinary. But God's glory also sits in the silence. I think when our focus on the glory of God is always loud and expressive, we miss the formation journey that happens when we go into silence. When was the last time that you deliberately created silence for yourself? I struggle with it. I have earphones in where I listen to podcasts and music when I train. I, sometimes I listen to it while I'm trying to go to bed and I'm listening to all these things, thinking I'm going to learn it while I sleep, but it doesn't work. <laughs> I don't retain anything. But when was the last time that you deliberately created silence? I've actually found that people who suffer from depression and anxiety, when you put them in a space where they have to be silent, it freaks them out because they're not used to silence. Their thoughts usually take them captive. I think one of God's dialects are silence. Uh, Genesis 1 verse 1 to 2. Uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, I love this image, was hovering over the waters. It doesn't say it was blowing. Because then you would have heard a wind or something. It was hovering. I think there's something about the glory of God that just hovers 
over and around you. Now, if you're not used to the experiential nature of experiencing God, this might be weird for you. Because how can it be silent? And I need to hear a word from God. But sometimes maybe God's word is silence. When you're asking Him for something and He's like, and that's your answer. We always want direct things, right? Now give it to me. Just tell me what to do. Give it to me straight. <laughs> give me the path that is a shortcut that I can miss some of the pain and the frustration of not knowing. And God is, well, maybe the answer is not knowing. Maybe there is no shortcut. Maybe part of your pain navigating that is experiencing that I'm with you and that I'm never leaving you or forsake you. Maybe there are moments of silence. And you see, this is the thing. I don't think we just experience the glory of God when the when the, when, the, when the guitars are flying and the, the, the smoke machine's going and, the, and, and I've got a little bit of, because um, I had pre-workout before church and I've got a few goosebumps. Anyway, you'd know if you take pre-workout. Anyway, <laughs> I, I don't think God is just in that moment. I think sometimes He is most visible in the moments when we are low, in the moments when we struggle, in the moments when uh, we're not 100% sure whether He's even there. When we are forced to go into silence. I heard a story this week of a Chinese pastor that was captured in China for running part of the underground church network. Very well-known man. And they locked him up for 23 years, mostly in solitary confinement. Where the only interaction he had with other humans was the guy who would pass him the food under the door. And he couldn't even speak to him. But he was so full of God. And when they interviewed him afterwards, he said, I was so full of God. I wanted to write books and dissertations. And I wanted to tell people the three steps and the ten C's. And the, I wanted to guide them into the glory. I wanted to share this revelation. But I didn't even have a pen. I didn't have a, have a book to write in. I didn't have a Bible to read. 23 years. Silence. And I, and I just envisioned myself. And when this guy interviewed him, he was a pastor. He said, give me some advice. You've been persecuted and you've been in jail. He said, <laughs> he said I had it easy. I was forced to be quiet. You're walking around in a Western world full of noise and distractions and ideas and possibilities. What you need to do is you need to build yourself a cage. Where are the intentional moments where you become quiet and experience the glory of God? Where are the moments where you don't have to go through trauma necessarily to be there in that place? Where's the place where you can experience the glory of God without any idea of outcome? It made me think about the space I create of silence in my life. Other moments we are forced to be silent. I had a little car, a Toyota Taz. It was similar to that, but it was uglier. It was like a baby. It wasn't even a baby. It was an aqua. Do you know what aqua is? It's a terrible color. It should be banned. I don't like aqua at all. I think I've got aqua shoes. I should throw them away. <laughs> and it had rust on and scratches on and it broke all the time. Who hates cars that break? It's from the devil. And this car was one of those cars. So as I was young, I didn't walk with God on my journey. One night, I just met Corinda, and she was a fiery personality. Now she's all calm and that, but she was very fiery. Um, 
And we had a, we had a fight. And I, and I remember driving, going away that night after our fight. It was very dramatic, you know. When you date, everything's like life or death. And it's so dramatic. And my life is ending. And nobody loves me. And I'll be alone the rest of my life. And, and stuff. And now I realize, man, was, I've wasted so much energy on that. And, um, and I remember that night I, I went and I had a, too many drinks with my sister. I was, didn't know what I was doing with my life at the time. And I was wrestling internally. And uh, that night as I drove home, I drove up this hill and uh, I fell asleep because I had too much to drink. Terrible. I fell asleep at the wheel and I didn't even have my seatbelt on. And because um, I, I was a tough guy and drove home and I woke up in a moment where the wheel of the car touched the gravel. And in a split second, everything went to slow motion, Right. I grabbed the steering wheel with my right hand and I grabbed the door on the left side with my left hand. And the car, the car started spinning and I have, uh, there was evidence of this. I, the car spun through a ditch and as it went through, there was a big concrete block of a power station and a, and a big pole with a concrete block under it. And my car spun in between those two things. And the width of that space was the width of my car. And my tires blew, and so the lines that were drawn in the concrete where, my tire, where my, the rims went through drew two straight solid lines through these two solid things. And I don't know how you spin and then correct and then continue to spin, but I did it. And I remember the moment that that happened where I gripped the door and I had the steering wheel and I had my, oh, Jesus, help me moment. And I was awake like that. It's as if I didn't have a drop to drink that night. And I so brought my body together that I pulled the door into the car. It was a great handle of the door. I pulled the door into the car. And the, literally afterwards, I could see the door was in the car. <laughs> and I stopped on the other side of the road and I thought, oh, well, that's okay. It was just a bit of a, bit of a spin. You know? <laughs> I got out of the car. I walked around. I said, no, nah, she's right. She'll be right. So I got back in the car and I drove away from my house. <laughs> Only about 100 meters and the car stopped. That night I experienced something of God's glory and presence in the midst of making a mistake and not living my life fully. Where in a split second through my own consequence, I nearly dealt with something terrible. Maybe I could have hit another car with other people. Maybe I would have hit the concrete block and I wouldn't walk today or wouldn't know how to. But God was with me in that moment. Maybe you've had moments in your life where there was silence forced upon you. But God was there. Maybe His glory is not just there when things are going well, but actually when things are not. The fourth place where the glory sits. So it's not just in Christ, although He is the epicenter, the prototype. It's not just in the ordinary it's not just in the silence, but the glory of God sits in me. When Jesus in John 1.14, before his death, he was known as the only begotten son. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and he beheld his glory. The glory as if the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. After his death and resurrection though, there was a truth that Paul discovered his encounter with God. Probably in a silent, ordinary moment. We reference God in Romans like this. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. You see there's a transition that happens here. 
from the only begotten Son, full of the glory of God, to us being the very carriers of the glory of God. The glory of God sits in you. The team can come up. You see, I think that the deepest evidence of God's presence is not something that sits external to you. It is your life. The deepest evidence of the presence of God is your life. St. John of the Cross said it like this. He said, the glory of God is amplified when we love one another. God rushes into the bodies of the broken so that when we hold them, God feels how it is to be held by us. How crazy is that? That God would rush into the bodies of the broken so that when we get over ourselves, we go to them and we hold them and it's as if God feels how it is to be held by us. Part of the mystery of God is that we're not just created here to be recipients, but that we're here to contribute to the glory of God. That when we do what He says, it's as if we are doing exactly what Jesus came to do. Because the glory of God, as St. Rainier says, is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. Do you believe that tonight, that if you're fully alive, that you would actually give tangible expression to the glory of God. I read out of John 17, just as we were worshiping here, from verse 22, and he says, I have given them, Jesus speaking to the Father, Jesus says, I have given them the glory you gave me. So they may be as one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me, and may they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me. And that you love them as much as you love me. This is Jesus talking to God about you. He's given you the glory. So that there would be unity amongst you. So that when others look at you, they would see such love in us. Such surroundingness of us. That they would so know that God is with us. That they would see God in the way that we love each other. I'm asking you tonight to love one another. Because it gives God glory. If you want to give God glory tonight, why don't you walk up to someone and hug them? And maybe God will experience your tender embrace. Because we're always waiting for Him to hug us. I think He's waiting for us to engage the ones that He values the most. I think that the mystery of God has been revealed in the opinion of God. I think that God is like Jesus. I think that God smiles through us. I think that God loves through us. I think that His glory is on display through us. And I think that when you love, you're not just seeking the will of God. You are the will of God. The glory of God sits in Christ it sits in the ordinary, it sits in the silence, and it sits in you and me. But the thing about the glory, and I'm done, and are we going to worship, and we're going to have communion, and we're going to 
We're going to pray together. There's a scripture that we're going to pray together in. Lectio Divina, the divine reading of scripture. We're going to do it together tonight. And I'm going to lead us in this moment. Just in a little bit. But what if the God that you've been searching for your whole life is not outside of you, but in you? What if in your locating of God that we're not worshiping externally and out there and far away from us as if He separated Himself? What if our experience of God is that He's actually sitting in me? The fullness of God resides on my innermost. What if, what if as you sit here tonight, you're not alone? Father, I pray that we would experience you like Jesus experienced you. Our very prototype, the one that we are made after, the one that was the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. The one that's like us. That, that walked this earth and tasted the food and experienced the heat of the sun and, and even had anguish and moments where he sweat blood and he, he actually had anxiety in moments where he, he felt the deep emotion of, of what it is to be human. And He also absorbed it. He absorbed our iniquities. Father, may we, may we so see ourselves in Christ that, that our lives start radically shifting to not just be a proclaimer of good news, but to be a carrier of good news. To be the very temple, the very uh, meeting place of God Himself. That He speaks to Himself through our life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity resides on our innermost. I know, God, that you are here because I can see you and the people that call this place home. Sometimes we wrestle and we don't have unity and we, we fight and we struggle and we, 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 we try to, to scapegoat our way out of scenarios where our insecurity is most on display. But Father, I know that when we can just surrender ourselves in the midst of your people, that there is something of a healing that occurs. That there's a restoration of our soul. When we are amongst your kind, you are the God kind. <laughs>